Good morning. It's July 21st. We're reading through the Bible in a year. And we've got two Psalms today, Psalm 34 and 35, that we're reading in the Old Testament. So as you get into that, please know a couple things about this first Psalm, Psalm 34. One is you'll quickly read the superscription, but please remember the context here. It talks about David pretending to be crazy uh, before King Abimelech is what it says. His alternate name that he was also called was Achish. That's what he's called in the book of 1 Samuel. But he goes there running from Saul. You might remember that whole season of David's life while he's on the run. He'd been anointed as the king, and yet he was hunted down by Saul and his men. Um, and he is doing something in this passage that I would never condone. As a matter of fact, uh, I think uh, some commentators rightly say this was a low season in David's life in terms of his trust in God. Um, he tried to do with a lie something I think God could have done uh, with the truth, maybe even not putting himself in this situation uh, and the various alternatives you could have looked at in this season of David's life. As I preached on this passage, um, I take the view that there, there could have been a better path than what David chose to do. Nevertheless, he's delivered, and this psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving and praise to God for delivering him from this life-threatening situation as he fled into another country running from Saul. You might want to notice, too, not just the superscription that reminds us of the historical context, but if you look carefully, you'll see in the footnote that this is an acrostic poem. Uh, it's an acrostic poem, not in English, of course, but in the original language of Hebrew. And in Hebrew, every verse in this psalm uh, follows the pattern of the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, Havav, Zion, all the way down to Tav, the Hebrew alphabet here is represented by the first word and the first letter and the first word of every verse in this um, in this psalm. So that was one of the mnemonic devices. They would certainly uh, be able to memorize it easy, more easily. It's a literary device, a poetic device, and it's used here, uh, we're assuming as David looks back on this situation of how grateful he was for God's deliverance. And a lot of great lines in this psalm. So read it carefully and thoughtfully and prayerfully, remembering the historical context. Uh, now, chapter 35 is another psalm where David is saying, God, contend with those who contend with me. Rise up and fight uh, those who have wronged me. And that may seem so vindictive to you, but remember what the Bible says, not taking our own revenge is the virtue and leaving God, leaving room for God's uh, vengeance. And that's, that's a godly thing. And sometimes you might argue, rightfully so, biblically, depending on the offense, it would be great just to overlook it. You know, a sin uh, can be overlooked and uh, the magnanimous kind of loving response sometimes can be, I'm just not even going to worry about it. But that's not the situation here because this is such a deep betrayal of David that he is, and read the passage carefully and you'll see this psalm speaks to a kind of betrayal you just can't ignore. It was painful. It hurt David deeply. And so he prays for God to deal with those who have uh, dealt so treacherously against David. And um, it's a good psalm. We've all been in a situation like this. And instead of taking his own revenge or seeking some other way to deal with this problem, he goes and runs to God and pours his heart out here to God. Our New Testament reading is in Acts chapter 22. You remember where we left off, coming out of the barracks to hear um, David, I'm sorry, um, Paul, Apostle Paul, is going to give his defense uh, as he speaks about why he's doing what he's doing and why he's bringing this message to the world. And uh, though people are claiming he's turning the world upside down and a, and a uh, rabble rouser and a troublemaker, that he is... Um, 
really doing this because of a call of God on his life. And he goes back to recount that, uh, what we learned in Acts chapter 9, his conversion. And he tells the story of his conversion and how God brought him to his knees and Christ confronts him and how he turns to Christ. And he gives some more details on all of that situation that we read about earlier in the book of Acts. And then talks about his call to go to the Gentiles. And this really justifies what he's doing and saying this is what God has set me apart to do. Uh, at the end of this, you see him assert his Roman citizenship, which by God's providence, God had prepared him for this work all throughout the Roman Empire and Roman colonies and provinces by uh, having and carrying this Roman citizenship, which they're surprised that he has. And that was a good thing, and it kept him alive as long as it kept him alive, and that was a gracious thing for God to prepare him for that ministry with that background. Uh, but all that shifts at the very, very end of this chapter, in chapter 22, because we see him uh, being handed over to the Sanhedrin, or the council as it's called, uh, the 70 uh, leaders of Israel in the first century, um, this court that was going to hear him, and we'll get into that in the next chapter, but uh, Paul is there on trial. All right, our community imperative is a negative one, sadly, and it's found in Romans chapter 16, verse 17, where Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles, obstacles that are contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. And here's the command, avoid them. I put it this way, avoid the ones causing trouble. Avoid the ones causing trouble. And there's always within a church or a community people that cause trouble. And even if they claim the name of Christ, the Bible says, listen, choose your friends wisely. You need to step back from those relationships. You can start with a lot of critical attitudes, a lot of complaining, a lot of putting up obstacles. This is not division over truth. This is obstacles that are contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. They're doing things to cause division and divisiveness and conflict, factions within the church that we shouldn't have. And when you see those kinds of people, of course, we need to confront them uh, and try and redirect them, but we certainly need to never just act like they're not doing that. We need to step back from that, avoid them, and don't be a part of what they're doing, certainly, and don't even be a passive, you know, um, person that just hangs in their circles. So I hate to even bring this one to you, but there it is in the text, and I hope you don't have to apply it today, but uh, when you do, be sure to avoid the ones that you see that are causing trouble in the church. Mm -hmm.